0: Enjoyed that, and I really enjoyed the the young kids, and that was a great song. And I appreciate everybody working so hard on that. Uh, thrilled about that. Look at Luke chapter 15. I'll jump right into it. Luke chapter 15, and I promise I won't keep you any later than I normally keep you late. And so, if you understood that statement, and so uh, uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin to read there. Just uh, as soon as you can get to it, Luke chapter 15. You want to look at verse 11. Verse 11, um, during our prayer revival, uh, there was uh, one night, and many of you that were here remember the night, and the uh, brother Beckham passed out the cards, and I'll be honest with you, uh, I suddenly went, went away during that time, uh, and my mind went away I, I, because it, I got consumed with it, whether I was going to preach today. Um, because he passed out the cards uh, for us to write down names of those that we would like to pray that they would be saved. And we've got those lists up here at the altar, and you can come up today, any service, and that list would be here. And you can take that and begin to pray over some of that list or come up anytime, really, and uh, do that. But I, but I want you to look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is what was on my heart from almost that moment to this. And he And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to, and to spare? And I perish with hunger, and I will rise, uh, arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And thus I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this, my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Father, I pray that you bless this morning. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you to please guide my mind, my thoughts. Lord, I pray that you'd give me clarity, that I could speak quickly and clearly, and Spirit of God, I yield myself to Thee once more. And Almighty God, I ask You to wrap Your arms around this place one more time as a mighty hedge of protection. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I I ask You to turn back every evil that might try to snatch away the truth today. Please be with us. Let our hearts be touched. Let us be moved to pray. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. During our revival, we made a list of those who are lost, and that list, as I said, is at the altar right now for us to pray for them. But there's another group that desperately needs our prayers. This group, in many ways, is a hidden group, an unmentioned group. But God addressed them in detail. God the Father demonstrates his love that never fails. We see in this parable this demonstration of the Heavenly Father and and how God will never contradict his word. And in this illustration we see this thing called a love that never faileth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 says, Charity never faileth, and charity is an extreme form of love. We know that through, through Scripture and the heart of God that this love had not, would not, and could not fail for His Son who was away. And, and we know from, from the Bible that this parable, that one thing we know, even though it's not said in these words, we know the love of God for all who are astray. We see it evidence when it says that the father fell on his neck and kissed him which is a demonstration I believe of the love he had for his son. My daddy just a little over 2 months ago went to heaven and he was a strong man, he was a working man, he was a farmer and a in a drywall hanger but but I hardly ever left the house as a, as a boy, a teenage boy maybe going out or going to a ball game or doing that my daddy wouldn't stop and hug me. And often he would kiss me on the, on the side of my cheek or on my neck and say, son, I love you. And his next words would be careful. Because he knew me. But it was not just love, but compassion. Compassion. Compassion is much like empathy. Compassion is, is love, but more. It's suffering with those that suffer. It's feeling the pain of another. God, the Father, illustrates his compassion. The Father never stopped looking for his son. Verse 19 and 20, it said, And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy high servants. And he arose and came to his father. But listen what it says. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Passion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He saw him a long ways off. He saw him and he had compassion. And listen, I want you to understand, I'm going to explain it in a few minutes, why there was such compassion in his heart when he saw him. Love kept the father looking for the son. And I want you to know in this parable, we so often we look at this, and, and I'm not saying it's a wrong usage, talking about the father for the loss, but, but here in this parable, this is already a son. This is already a father and a son, and the son has gone away. Now, why was there such compassion? Why does it say that suddenly this father had this compassion? Well, I believe with all my heart it was compassion when the father saw the condition of his son. He came out of the pigsty. He came hungry. He was probably emaciated. He, his body was, was torn and racked and, and maybe marred by sin. But the father from a great distance knew his son. He knew the devastation that had happened to his son. And that compassion results in an embrace and a kiss, which is, I believe, also a symbol of forgiveness. God the Father creates throughout this parable an environment. He teaches us that he creates an environment of acceptance. And I want you to understand there's a lot of confusion out there about this word acceptance. We want to, they want to tell us today that we have to accept sin. And we have to accept the sinful lifestyle. That's not what he accepted. True love and compassion accepts the heart of repentance, regardless of the present condition that sin has brought upon them. And here's what I want to warn you, and here's what I'm trying to say, is sometimes when they come back with a repentant heart, they don't look like they have a repentant heart. Because they're carrying the world back with them. They're carrying the marred up body with them. They're carrying the scars back with them. They're carrying the emaciation with them. And when they bring it back, they're coming back with a heart that's saying, I'm sorry, I've done wrong, I was wrong. When they come back, there is a heart of acceptance in the mind and the heart of God. In this illustration, there was no, I told you so. There was no accusation, there was no attack, there was no anger over the bad decisions or the loss. You know, it's a shame that sometimes we'll get upset because somebody has squandered uh, uh, money or possessions or things. Listen, uh, uh, that's just a sign that we were more interested about those things. The things don't matter. The child matters. There was no look at you, or how could you do this to yourself? You don't find that in this parable. It was simply a heart of love and compassion that recognized his son had come home. When he or she comes home knowing they were wrong, when they come home knowing they have made horrible decisions and wasted everything, when they come home willing to humble themselves and become a servant, the way this says, we must be willing to accept them home and love them and have compassion over them, and love and compassion will accept them. I don't believe it's an absolute, but regardless of what they're willing to say, coming home is normally a great indicator that they realize they're wrong. Now, I understand this day and age that we live in that that some just come to, to sort of to siphon off of you. And that's not a spirit of repentance. And that's where you have to say, I don't accept what you're where you are. But if someone comes back in brokenness and repentance, we must have love and compassion. We must be willing to do what we can to restore them regardless of their present condition. And folks, this is for families, but this is also for the church. The church needs to have open arms. The church needs to be a picture of saying, if you'll come home, you'll find our arms open." If you'll come home, you'll find that no matter what your condition, we're there to pick you up. We're there to help you. I told a man the other day whose heart is just devastated. I told him, I said, sir, if you can convince them to come to us, we will not judge We will not condemn. We only want to help. You see, folks, the Father, when I was lost, saw my condition. And the night I came to him, November the 8th, 1975, in that dorm room at Memphis State University, listen, I was marred, I was scarred, I was i was emaciated from the sin of this world. But God didn't look at me and say, see what you've done? He didn't look at me and say, what were you thinking? He didn't do that. He opened his arms and said, I love you and I receive you. I think there's several thoughts here that we can discern from this parable. Number one is this. I believe that one of the reasons that he came home is because he believed that his father loved him. I think somewhere along the way, and can I just tell you, right now, uh, with all family, and we think this is just parents with children, but I'm talking about every family member, every direction you can go. We got to make sure they know one thing, we love them. Listen, I may not accept everything they're doing, but I love them. I love them, and love is never going to change. I want you to understand this is not condoning of sin, but rather accepting one home is coming home in humility and brokenness. I believe God clearly shows that this is not somebody that just says, I'm going to come and feed off of you and I'm going to continue to live in sin. This is not who that, This is not what's represented here. This is a young person that came back broken and said, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. But the father said... You can't stop being my son. Amen. You can't stop being my son. Number three, when they return, they, they may be broken, but they may not look broken. And here's what I got to warn you, please, please. They may be broken, but they may not look broken. But why did they walk in the doors of the church? Why did they come? You say, well, they don't act broken. They don't look broken. Well, look, why did they show up in here? They're searching. There's something that's there. There's some, and, and again, they may be marred up and they may be scarred up. They may they look like uh, they, they, there's no way that they really are, are broken by what they've been living in. But I'm telling you, they came here for a reason. The son came home in rags and filth and no doubt marred by sin. The physical appearance should not be our focus. It should be the brokenness and humility. Number four, when they come home broken, show them unreserved love and sacrifice. It's not just, "oh, I love you. Listen, love really doesn't, doesn't mean much to somebody unless you're willing to invest in them and help them. The father said, look, I've given you everything that you deserve. But when he came back, the father still said, not only have I, I've already given you everything, but son, I hug you. I kiss you. I accept you. But son, listen, I give you clothes. I give you a ring. I'm going to make, I'm going to, we're going to roast the fatted calf. Son, I love you and I'll give you everything I got till I die if you'll just come home. We know love never fails. We know the father of this illustration prayed for his son. For the heavenly father would not give us an illustration outside his will. And you say, why do you say this? Because some things are not specifically said. But when you know the heart of God and you know the word of God. You know that the father had to be praying for his son. The father, heavenly father will never teach us something outside his will. And his will, that, his will is that men ought always to pray. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He said, we pray that you be reconciled to God. And listen, we need to pray for those who are away from God to be reconciled to God. Prayer is the answer and solution to the unanswerable and the unsolvable. Did you get that? Prayer is the answer and the solution to the unanswerable and the unsolvable. We look at it and say, there's no hope. God says, you think so? Because I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. But wait a minute, I—that's me doing something through God. Can you imagine what He can do through His conviction and and that He can pour upon Him? And God can break them down. God the Father demonstrates patience and faith through this parable. You know, we don't know how long the Father waited for the Son. Because in a parable like this, it seems to happen pretty quickly. But I want to just give you some points in here to show that it it was not quick. You see that first of all, it says in this passage, he took a long journey. He took a long journey away from the Father. He had enough time as on his long journey that he spent all of his inheritance. The country was not in famine when he went, but it went into famine and was in the middle of famine while he was there. So we've got a time frame even there. It took him a journey to get there. Took him a, a time period to spend all his money. Spent, took him a time period for the country now to go into famine and be so wrought that distraught that he's got to be in the pig pen. That's all that's left for him. He stayed out in in the world during the famine and working in the pig lots. And then, finally, he had to make a long journey home. You understand, that's a whole lot of days and nights that the father's going to to the porch to look. And some of you understand those days and nights. And you go back every day. and You're waiting for a text or a phone call. And you're looking for a car to drive up. The Patience of God is revealed for the father. Still look for his son to the day he returned. He watched daily to see if today would be that day. When Brother Beckham preached about the loss, all that I had on my mind that night was, what about the prodigal? The truth is I had to go back to the stack and call out my card because I was so out of focus, that's all I was writing down was the prodigals. You say, Brother Hooker, don't you want to pray for the lost? You know I do. But oh my God, I want the prodigals to come home. Oh, how we need a list to pray for the little known. You said, Brother Hooker, how come we don't? Because they're not spoken of like the lost are. Those that we love so dearly, but we hide their situation in our, in our hearts and endure it alone. We'll freely say, pray for this person because they're lost. But it's so much harder. And that's why I want to beg you, please, Calvary. We need to be a church where people would know if they come and ask for prayer for somebody who's astray, that they will know there's no condemnation, there's no criticism, there's no, there's no thoughts. Listen, there's only one thought. Oh God, let's pray. You see, this is a group that we whisper a prayer for. The prodigal. The sons, the daughters, the daddy or mama, the niece or nephew or the aunt or uncle, the brother or sister. Those that were part of the family. Those that were saved, those that once served God, but now they're away. But we must pray. We must pray for them. With love and compassion, we must pray. We must allow them to come home if they will. Please, we must allow them to come home if they will. We must sacrifice to see them reconciled. The number one issue that preachers and church members have asked me to pray for in the past four years as we travel this nation was not for the lost. It was for the prodigal. Broken-hearted moms and dads or broken-hearted children whose daddy had gone away or mama had strayed away. It has been that child, a parent, a sibling, would, that a child or a parent or sibling would come back to God before their life is destroyed. You say, Brother Hooker, do you have someone like that in your family? I'll be honest with you right now. God didn't bring to my mind someone like that in my family. But he overwhelmed my heart that, a ch- that our church and our church family is hurting. And there's nothing more devastating than to know that someone you love is destroying their life. So I'm asking you, don't, don't hide it from everyone. I'm not asking you to broadcast it to the church if, if that's something you can't do right now. I'm not asking you to do that. But Matthew 18, 19 through 22 says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I'm asking you, go to someone. These cards have been sitting up here since that day and. And I'm going to ask these men here in a moment to just spread them across the altar. And if you want to take one of these cards and either at the altar and turn it over at the altar or you want to take it and walk out, I'm just asking you to take it to someone that you believe will join you in prayer. Give it to me or my wife. And I know I'm answering my son-in-law, Michael. You give it to us and listen I promise you, we will not condemn. We will pray. And I know you you may think, how much does this... No passage applied to the wayward. I, I think Peter seemed to think so, because the very next thing he asked the Lord after the Lord says this, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, and Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto, unto these until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Aren't you glad that God forgives us over and over and over and over again? Seventy times seven is a, is, is, is a magnification of perfection. God's saying, I'm going to forgive you if you want to come back for forgiveness. How many times? As many times as you want to come back for forgiveness, I still want to forgive you. Could we not do that for each other? It's so evident that when someone we love has strayed, it hurts us to such an extent that whether true or not, we feel we have been sinned against. And even the parable said that the son said, I've sinned against you. But Jesus says, even if you've been truly sinned against, 70 times 7 still forgive. How much more shall we forgive when those we love have hurt themselves and us? Romans fifteen thirteen says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You say, what's that there for? God, I want God to give you a hope this morning that whoever it is, wherever they are, God says there's still hope as long as they take a breath. When God answers your prayer, I'm going to ask you this. You don't have to tell the whole church about it, uh, about what's going on in your heart and life right now. But I'm asking you to get to someone. But I'm asking you this. When God brings a victory, let the church know you've seen a victory. That song has just been on my heart and mind. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home earnestly, tenderly. Jesus is calling. Calling O sinner, come home. This should be our prayer for our own hearts when we stray. It should be the prayer of our hearts for those we love who have gone astray. Come home. Come home. Come home. This has a dual meaning. If you're don't know for sure you're saved and come home. I just illustrated it. I was twenty years old and God had open arms. So many times when I'm witnessing to somebody or telling, especially young people, I say, you don't understand I used to have sailors, I would come to them and I'd say, hey, you ought to come to this and come play ball and eat a good meal and go to church. And they'd, No, man, you don't understand, you know, this is where I am in my life and you don't understand. I said, no, you don't understand. I've been where you are, you just never been where I am. And when I was where they are, that God said, come home. And he opened his, his arms and said, let me come home. And if you're astray from God right now, and you're not worse than anybody else because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us had to come home. At some point, we got to come home if we're going to go home to be with Him. If you have no church home, come home. If you're struggling with sin and you're saved, come home. If you're broken hearted over those you love, then pray that they'll come home. Pray for the lost. Pray for the prodigal. I don't know. I just don't know why God put this on my heart so heavy. But I do want to pray with you. but as others that would pray with you. And God brought me here a year and a half ago, and I hope everybody understands by now, when he brought me here, he brought me here for one reason. To say, we we don't shut the door to anybody that wants to come home. God was so good to me. Let's have the same heart that he had toward others. Father, I pray that you bless dear God. I pray-